So open up your Bibles, if you will, to Galatians 3. And as you're turning there, as you're opening those up, let me ask you a question this morning. What has Jesus done for you? What has Jesus done for you? It's, it's a question that might come up between you and a friend or a neighbor over coffee or sharing a meal. What has Jesus done for you? How would you answer that? Or, or, or how would you explain to your friend what it is, in fact, that Christ has done for you? Maybe another way to think about it or ask the question is, what do you think your greatest need is? What's, what's your biggest problem that you face in life? Because very often we think of Christ in terms of solving problems, of, of meeting needs. That, that's a good thing to think of Him as doing. So, so what is it? What has Jesus done? Is, is Jesus who you credit for giving you a more meaningful life? Fuller or richer in some way? Maybe He's the one who's given you encouragement when you were down. Strength when you were weak. Maybe He's given you an example to follow. You know, how He loved people or how He loved and obeyed the Father. See, what we think our biggest need is, our greatest problem, and how we understand Jesus as meeting that need or solving that problem is of utmost importance. And our passage from Galatians today is going to help us with this. It's a short passage, just five verses. I'd like to ask you to stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word. Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. These are the very words of God. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. May God bless the reading and the teaching of his inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word. Please pray with me. Father, we need your help in these moments. We need your help, O Holy Spirit, to illumine our minds, our understanding, dimmed as it is by the fall. We need you to help point us to Jesus. We need you to shed your light on the hidden places in our hearts where we think we've, we're completely trusting and living by faith, but where many of us daily 
revert back to trying to live by works of the law? Would, would you uncover those places in our hearts for us this morning? Would you show us to them so that we might bring them back to the cross, that we might bring them back to living by faith in Christ? We pray for all this help and expect it in his name. Amen. Please be seated. So what has Jesus done for you? What great problem has he solved for you? What great need has he met? Is it a matter of inspiration? I don't feel inspired. I need to feel inspired. Jesus for me is the wind beneath my wings. Is he motivation? Is he simply a matter of education? He's showing you the way that you ought to live. Paul definitely has an opinion about what our greatest problem is. Did you, did you pick up on it in this passage, in these verses? We're going to work our way through these verses this morning. There's an outline in your worship folder. We'll project it on the screen for you. Uh, the first point of being, what is the problem? Then we'll explore how the problem is not the solution. That should seem obvious, but it's not always. The solution is, in fact, the great exchange, and the solution uh, is actually a way of life. It's a way of living. So we'll explore those four things. We'll start first with the problem in verse 10. Our problem is we're under a curse. Now, I'm sure that's what you all were thinking when I asked you what your biggest, biggest problem was. You were thinking to yourself, yep, I am under a curse. I'm crushed by the weight of God's righteous judgment. I lack the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, I'm cursed, and that is my biggest problem. Perhaps some of you were thinking along those lines, maybe not in those exact words, but you would admit, you would readily admit that your biggest need, your greatest problem is having a right standing before a holy and righteous God, especially in light of the fact that we are sinful and unrighteous. We are under a curse. But even as I say that, even as we, we prayed that those two words in that prayer of confession together, miserable offenders... Some of you bristled at that. Some of you bristled at that. Some of you, when I say we're under a curse, you say, now, wait a minute. Not so fast. I mean, I know I'm not perfect. I'll admit I've made some mistakes. But I think this curse thing is taking things just a little too far. Blowing things a little bit out of proportion. I am, after all, a good person. Right? I'm in a Presbyterian church on a Sunday morning. I must be a pretty good person. I'm no serial killer. Right? Charles Manson's in the news, right? He's in the hospital, apparently, at death's door. Now, there's someone who deserves to be under a curse. But see, I'm nowhere near as bad as 
Charles Manson. I just need a little help to be a better person. That's what I need. Right? What does God's Word say? The second half of verse 10. It is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things in the law. Yikes. That is a rather high bar, is it not? So where exactly is that written? It says it is written. So where is it written? It's coming from Deuteronomy 27, most likely. There's a long string of curses in Deuteronomy 27. Cursed be the man who does this. Cursed are you if you do this and that. It's just a laundry list. And then there's this sort of summary umbrella clause at the end, verse 26. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. Who doesn't confirm the words of this law. Well, which one? Which law would that be? All of them. The law in totality. Oh. So the Bible's position is that all who fail to obey all of the law, and how many is that? All are under a curse. God's judgment and wrath. That's a big problem. And it begs the question, well, what is the solution? How does one go about getting out from under that curse? Our passage shows two proposed solutions, but one does not work. So let's start with that one and get it out of the way. The problem is not the solution. So, so without fail, the solution we all go to instinctively to get out from under the curse is to obey our way out. I'll live a good life. I'll be a good person. I'll, I'll do enough good stuff to outweigh the bad. I'll tip the scales I'll I'll do religious stuff. I will come on a Sunday morning to a Presbyterian church. That way God won't be angry anymore. I won't be under a curse. Instead, he'll be pleased with me. He'll bless me. One small problem with that, (laughs) that's impossible. It's impossible. See, the law is an all-or-nothing deal. Look, look again carefully at, at verse 10. So the expectation here is that we would abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. So there is abiding and doing it's a crazy high bar. It's a, the standard that we have to meet is obedience that is consistent, comprehensive, and continuous for everything that the law entails. 
You down with all that? Is that you? Is that this last week? Is that even this morning? Because reality is the best of us on our best days obey some of God's law falteringly. And Scripture is very clear that's not good enough. James 2, verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law, that's what we're talking about, right? But fails in one point, one little footnote, one little asterisk. You fail in that and you've become guilty of all of it. The law requires a performance that is beyond human ability. And so that's why I think Paul in verse 11 of our passage back in Galatians 3 says, you know what, it's evident. It is evident. It is abundantly clear that no one is justified before God by the law. So how is it clear? How is it evident? Well, number one, Scripture is clear. Over and over in many different places, we all like sheep have gone astray. Right? We all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Over and over and over. Could take you to tons of different places. Scripture is clear. But even if you're here this morning, and you're not that familiar with the Bible, or you don't know necessarily if you believe the Bible, it's evident because our own consciences confirm this to be true. Regardless of what you think about the Scriptures, we all fall short of even our own ideals. None of us is the person that we wish that we were, that we set out to be. We all fall short even of our own standards. How much more than must we fall short of the standards of the one who created us? The law and its demands is the basis of our problem. It's why we are cursed. We can't keep the standard. So it would be foolish. Remember the context of of this letter of of Galatians. These, These Judaizers are coming in. These agitators are coming into the churches in Galatia and saying, you've got to add these works of the law if you really want to be pleasing to God. You've got to jump through these hoops, dot these I's, cross these T's if you want to really belong, if you want to really be a Christian and really be accepted by him. And so Paul's writing this to say that is so foolish to think that you're going to look to the problem to be part of the solution. See, here's the bitter irony. These Judaizers, these agitators, they thought they were escaping God's curse by more rigidly and more tightly adhering to the law. Which is for them what incurred God's curse and caused them to remain under His curse. See, what the law accomplishes for us is the very thing we don't want it to. Now, I told you this passage had two solutions. So this is the one that does not work. Works of the law 
is not a solution for getting out from under the curse. The other one, the one that does work, we've seen multiple times already in this letter. It's not going to come as a surprise to you. It's faith in Jesus. That's the solution that works. Because see, one solution is about doing. That's the one that doesn't work. The other solution is about receiving. And these two could not be any more different. In fact, it's not just that they're different. They're opposites. They are mutually exclusive to one another. They cannot be reconciled to one another. If you depend on one, it cancels the other out. John Calvin, in his commentary, said, you could more easily unite fire and water than living by your works and living by faith. But here's the sad part. Here's the troubling part. Here's the why we're in Galatians part. It's because 90% of what's out there that passes for Christianity, and I'm convinced in the hearts and minds of a good number of us in this room this morning, is that we desperately want to combine those two. That's the Christianity we've come up with is, sure, I'll place my faith in Jesus, but I've got this good measure of trying really hard thrown in on the side just to be sure. But at the end of the day, your salvation is either something that you do or it is something that you receive. It is impossible to do it and receive it at the same time. The one who would rely on works remains under a curse. All right, so if the problem is not the solution, what is? You know it's faith in Christ, but let's look at how this passage unpacks exactly what that means, exactly what that is. The solution is the great exchange. So how do we get out from under the curse? Verse 13 We are redeemed out from under the curse. Christ redeemed us out from under it. That's that's the language of slavery, this redemption language. Your, Your slavery ends when someone pays the price to buy you out of that slavery, to to purchase your freedom. And so here we need to think about and see Jesus paying the price for us. Well, how much was that? What, what was the price? He redeemed us by becoming a curse. That is very strange language. What, what does that mean? It's odd language because the idea here is of Christ substituting himself for us, of, of Christ taking our place. He so identified himself with us, with us who deserve to be under a curse, that the best way possible for Paul to phrase it is to say that he became a curse. It's very similar to what he does in 2 Corinthians 5. In one of my absolute favorite verses of understanding the gospel, 
2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's your great exchange right there in that verse as well. He, he took it all upon himself into the cross where he became sin. He was made to be sin. So identified was he with us that he became a curse. He became sin. I think Martin Luther in his commentary really gets at the idea of this. Um, Yeah, I think we can see that. Our most merciful Father, seeing us to be oppressed and overwhelmed with the curse of the law and seeing that we could never be delivered from it by our own power, sent his only Son into the world and laid upon him all the sins of all men, saying, and so this is in essence what Jesus was doing, becoming sin, becoming a curse. The Father is saying to the Son, be thou Peter, that denier. Become him. Be Paul, that persecutor, blasphemer, and cruel oppressor. Be him. Be David, that adulterer. Be, be that sinner which did eat the apple in paradise. Be that thief which hanged upon the, Christ, uh, uh, the cross. And briefly, be thou the person which hath committed the sins of all men. See therefore that thou pay and satisfy for them. He took upon himself our sin. And with that sin, the curse, the judgment, the wrath that that sin deserved. Oh, what wondrous love is this. That caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul. Now, how can we be sure that in fact he did bear that curse? What's the evidence of that? How do, how do we know for sure that there's not still a curse out there waiting for us, but that the Lord Jesus did take it upon himself and that he was our curse? We'll look at the end of verse 13. We know for sure the evidence is that he hung on a tree. He hung on a tree. And, and so Paul is, is quoting here, alluding to Deuteronomy 21. It's probably a footnote in your, in your Bibles. This passage where it talks about hanging on a tree is a sign of being cursed by God. See, God knew what he was doing when he gave that law. He knew the type of death his son would die hundreds and hundreds of years later when he gave this law. He knew what Jesus would be doing for us as he died. He knew that he would be taking our curse. And as we try to wrap our minds and our hearts around this, think just for a second of how very offensive this was to the Jews. To the Jews who'd been long expecting Messiah to come, waiting for him, And now here's this guy that some are saying, it's him, it's him. And they're saying, no way could it be him. He's cursed by God. 
We saw him hang on a tree. We know that he is cursed by God. There's no way he could be the Messiah. And yet, you and I see clearly from Scripture that that is in fact how he was the Messiah. That he was cursed by God is the only way that he could be our Savior. Is if he was cursed. Friend, let that sink into your hearts. He wasn't a teacher to follow. He didn't come with an example that we're supposed to live by. He's our Savior because he was cursed. Now, the, the point of the outline here is that the solution is a great exchange. So an exchange sort of implies two parts, right? But we've only talked about the first part, the taking of our curse. And the other thing about an exchange is normally we think in terms of an even swap, right? I'll exchange you this for that, and we'll be even. Not this one. See, one half of this great exchange is that Jesus takes our sin and curse clearly to our benefit. And the other half of that exchange is not what we give to him in return, but it is also what he gives to us. Verse 14, this redemption, this taking of the curse is done so that the blessing of Abraham and the Spirit might be ours. So the blessing of Abraham we looked at last week, and we we saw, and and you can look back later at verse 8 of chapter 3, that essentially this this blessing of Abraham is is justification. It's having a right standing before God that comes only through faith. And and so this is the good news, right? This is the too-good-to-be-true good news of the gospel. And it's crazy, this great exchange, that he received the curse that we earned so that we might receive the blessing that he earned. That's the great exchange of the gospel. He received the curse that we earned. We received the blessing that he earned. He loses on both sides of the transaction. We win on both sides. See, see the blessing here is the opposite of the curse. right? So the curse was, cursed if you don't abide by all that is in the law. And now here's the blessing for us, earned by the one who actually did do that. He actually did abide by everything that's in the law. So in this great exchange, just as he became a curse, we become righteous. See, God regarded Jesus as a cursed sinner in our place. This is where the forsaking comes on the cross. My God, my God, why have you 
forsaken me because God was regarding him in that moment as a cursed sinner in our place. And now he regards us as righteous daughters and sons because of what Christ has done. The solution is the great, unbelievable, too good to be true exchange. Finally, the solution is also the way of life. In the middle of our passage are two more Old Testament quotes. One comes at the end of verse 11, and it's from Habakkuk 2. The righteous shall live by faith. It was an important one to Paul. He's also going to quote it in Romans 1.17. This is the thing that, that got Martin Luther going. This was sort of his gospel conversion was based on, on this verse. The righteous shall live by faith. And the other one is in verse 12. This one from Deuteronomy 18.5. Speaking of these works of the law, the one who does them shall live by them. So the the common denominator between these two Old Testament verses is this reference to living by something. What are you going to live by? What's going to be the MO for your life? What's going to be the pattern, the reliance, the essence of, of our lives? One verse refers to living by faith, and the other refers to living by the law. And so it takes us back to the difference, to the essence that we're dealing with here of of doing versus receiving. See, one way to live is to receive by faith, and the other way is is to do, it's to perform. And, And so these are Again, two mutually exclusive ways to live, to find salvation. And, and now I, I hope and trust, and I really think this is true of, of, of the folks in this room this morning, that you would agree with me and that you would say, no, we wouldn't possibly begin to think that we could earn our salvation by our works. I feel certain that in this room, this morning, we're almost unanimously on that page together. None of us is here this morning thinking, I'm trying to earn my way to heaven by my works. We know better, right? We've heard this before. We would agree and say, yes, salvation is by faith. But here's where I fear the breakdown is for a lot of us. is we see a verse like this one quoted from Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith. But when we see that, we're hearing and we're reading in our minds, the just shall be saved by faith. And that's a big deal. Because it clearly says live. The just shall live by faith. See, we're down with being saved by faith. Like, we get that. We're good in this room. Your friends and neighbors, they're not good with that. Explain it carefully. Great detail. Because they think that being a good person is enough. We know better. We get saved by faith. What we don't get as well is living by faith. Faith. We think that we're saved by our faith in Jesus, that he gives us our start. And then we continue on 
and come to a conclusion by our obedience and our performance. He got it started. I got to keep it going. That's the Christian life, right? He gets us in. We stay in by keeping our nose clean, doing our quiet times, by tithing. You are tithing, aren't you? Okay. Um, Witnessing. Y'all, but that all sounds much more like doing than receiving. And it is is foolish to use Paul's word. It is foolish even to think back to verse 3 of chapter 3 where Paul said, are you so foolish that you're going to attempt to finish this thing in a way that's different from how you started it? You started this thing with a spirit. You started this thing with faith. And now you think you're going to finish it by trying hard? It's foolish because of what it does to us. Um, I think that perhaps some of you might even be in denial at this moment. right? Oh, well, that's not me. I'm good. I'm saved by faith, and I know that I'm living by faith. Um, so let me give you three little litmus tests, if you, if you will, that might expose areas where we're not, in fact, living by faith. Three areas, and they're not all, but they're just three. Um, when we sin, when we're sinned against, and when life gets hard. All right? So first one, when we sin. So what, what, what's the difference between living by faith and living by the law in this moment? So if, if we're living by law in the moment that we sin, we're devastated. We are anxious and we are insecure. I'll never measure up. I've blown it again. I'm such a loser and a failure. Gosh, I'll never get back in to God's good graces now. And it also makes us intimidated by those of us around us who we don't think are screwing up as much as we are. Gosh, they've got it all together. Oh, I'm such a loser. But if we're living by faith instead of living by our performing, then we remember in that moment, you know what? This stinks. But Jesus has already bore the curse for this sin. He's already born it. You know what? And he willingly became a curse. He willingly took the double bad sides of that exchange. He willingly did that because he loves me. And in being loved like that is the transforming power that will make me a little bit more able next time to say no to that sin and to that temptation. So there's a difference when we sin. Here's the difference when we're sinned against. If we're living by our performance, if we're living by the law, man, are we oversensitive. Boy, do we make mountains out of molehills. And we get arrogant. I can't believe he did that to me. I would never. But living by faith helps us to remember, oh, yes, I would. Oh, yes, I have.
Living by faith helps us to remember what we've been saved from. Living by performance keeps us looking at what we've done. Living by faith helps us to look at what Jesus has done for all of us and that I need Jesus' righteousness just as much as the one who sinned against me. Third and final way, and we'll be done. When hard things happen. See, if we're living by our performance, if we're living by the law, if we're holding up our end of the bargain, right, that's what we think we're doing, then we have a right to expect things to go a certain way. I'm keeping my nose clean for you. You owe me. I shouldn't have to go through this. You should bless me with a good life. But living by faith sees that I don't deserve a good life. I, in fact, deserve life under the curse. But Jesus left the good life that he did deserve so that I could receive this eternal, amazing blessing that I don't. And so when the hard things come, the sad things, the painful things, living by faith reminds us that he has met my greatest need. He has already met my greatest and biggest need. There's no way that he won't meet me in this also. There's no way he won't meet me in whatever I'm facing today. Let's pray. Oh, Father, take the truths of your gospel and sink them deep into our hearts, not just for the moment of our salvation, but for every Monday morning and Thursday afternoon and Friday night, for every moment that we find ourselves in sin, or sinned against, or facing something hard and difficult that we don't understand. Grant us the grace to live by faith and not by our own performance. We pray in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen. Let's stand.